The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. With fantastic support, half of Ireland were here. The rest of them are hopefully smiling at home. We had a bet earlier in the year, 20 euros, that if we won it, I wouldn't cry, but it's uh, the best 20 euro quid I'll ever spend. Here's Eastlip. Well, he picks it up quickly and off he goes. Drops it off the Hinshaw! Robbie Hinshaw scores it! Rugby history! Ireland beat the All Blacks for the first time! Hello and welcome to episode two of The Hard Yards, the sports show rugby podcast from a palatial studio in Dublin 8. I'm Andy McGeady. On this week's show, we're going to look back at the second round of the Six Nations and around the table, I am joined by former Leinster and Ireland player Kev McLaughlin. Hello, Kev. Hey, Andy. And sports show rugby reporter Pat McCarry. Hey, how are you? And on the line from Cork, the People's Republic, we have Dunning O'Callaghan. Dunka, say hello to the internet. Hi Andy, how are you getting on? Later, Haley O'Connor from Ladbrokes will be dropping in to talk to us about how they got cleaned out yesterday. And um, I suppose one of us was actually playing rugby football yesterday. Donica, you captained and played 73 minutes in Worcester's 24-18 win against Saracens. How are you feeling today? Yeah, I'm sore, I'm sore. Um, I said it's a bit, you don't miss Kev, the waking up and looking at your shoelaces going, how am I going to manage this? So... That's the way I was now this morning, and uh, but yeah, I'm. You know, it was a good win for us, so we're. Um, we just need to back it up. We've been disappointed this season for the group of lads we have in Worcester. We've underperformed, so to get a win like that was good. But hopefully, we can uh, back it up. So yeah, it was good. That's good, and I suppose from from Ireland's point of view, there was a, a week of anticipation after a poor performance in Scotland. They came out the gate hard enough against Italy, Kev. Yeah, <laughs> when I was looking at it, I was thinking this is a group of lads that are playing like they've spent about four to five hours doing video reviews with Joe. Um, I would say he held back very little this week. Um, I think the lads probably took a hard look at themselves as well and they bounced back. Um, I think the Hugh Gahal from RT um, used the phrase relentless several times during the first half in particular. And I think that kind of summed up the way they played. They never let up in Italy and never gave them a chance to, to, to come into the game. I also like the way they brought some offloads in. Um, they, were, they weren't reckless offloads. I think they were sh- kind of showed high skill levels and, and broke and wore Italy down. Um, and I think it was an enjoyable brand of rugby to watch. So here, here to more of that <laughs> as the Six Nations goes on. Yeah, they. Um, I just kind of you could just see from the way they started, they just had this intent that they they weren't going to let up. And they, I think after twenty minutes, the possession stats were something incredible. It was over eighty percent or something. I think it was eighty four percent. And um, you know what I kind of noticed about them as well is they didn't want to get caught like the Scots were kind of doing to them, pressing up on them. So they were kind of doing a few grubber kicks in behind them as well. And um, and Jackson was doing very well as well. Jackson was doing a lot of skip out passes as well. And um, yeah, they just did so well. And even even though Zebo was kind of denied with his early try. Uh, when they eventually got over through Earls I just kind of loved the way he scored dotted it down they all walked back like this this was just the beginning of it as well and it was a real message they sent out and they just it was just that 20 minutes was incredible they just never let up at all it was it was real business I think they, yeah. they came over there to do a job they did the job they didn't over celebrate it they knew it was just they needed to get the five points and move on with the competition and just what you're saying there in terms of having more space and attack I think it was helped by the fact that the referee actually refereed the offside line for the first time yeah. in about six months I've seen a game where you consistently watch the Italian line and I would guess that it was something to do with uh, conversation Joe had with him in the change room before was Glenn Jackson who Joe actually knows and I would imagine he got a word in his ear and said watch these guys because having been smothered by Scotland the week before having that extra yard or two just gives you a bit more time 
even if it's a half yard to adjust your run put footwork on change the angle up a little bit and, and that allows you know the half yard of space to get the offload away and I think that, that really helped Ireland's attack a lot So if you're actually if you, if you <coughs> got the ball in attack which Ireland had for the first 20 minutes I mean just I was looking at it every 10 minutes by 10 minutes after 20 minutes yeah, uh, Stander had CJ Stander had 11 carries already in one try Henshaw had already made 8 carries Sean O'Brien 7 Ireland just had the ball constantly but what you're saying is on when they're actually being kept back when the opposition has been kept back it can change what you can do yeah it really does and it means that rather than the the defence being on the front foot that the attacker on the front foot and I think it was helped by the fact that Ireland rolls going forward whereas against Scotland they were going back a lot and it's harder for a referee to ref an offside line if the, if the attacker going back I think you get the momentum and decisions come with that as well Ireland were going forward they were carrying out the Italians hard the referee is watching keeping a close eye on the front foot um, of the Italians and it just make it easier to actually run space rather than running into a blue wall Dunica, from your point of view, I mean, is it about Ireland playing well in that first quarter or were the Italians at the races at all in this game? No, I think it was all down to Ireland, to be fair. You just know from uh, past experience that after a result like that, you would play on the Sunday morning, you'd go out Saturday night. So those lads have been in the Carton House just climbing the walls, trying to get out and play again. And they started in exactly that manner. You, you said that they were in a rush. They were against the clock as well. It, there's a great feel to it I love even the opening maybe three minutes everyone had an involvement you know um, uh, Sebo with a, a great take but just small things I, I agree with Kev that you know the offside line was refed but I thought we were reckless in, in at the breakdown and I thought guys did incredible work like uh, Ty Furlong and Niall Scanner and Donica Ryan and I think our front five had a massive work rate for clearing beyond the ball so that Connor didn't have to go reaching or diving over guys. 100% it was refed a little bit better, but I think we took it out of anyone's hands by um, clearing so far beyond it. And I think there was an awful lot of untanked work guys that put in um, selfless acts for other guys to you know go on and, and, and do really well. and. Guys like uh, Tyg Furlong was immense, and uh, I thought Noel Scallon for a guy on debut, I thought he was incredible. Yeah, it's an interesting one you're saying there, Dunners, about the the front five in particular clearing past the ball. I think if you clear an extra meter behind the ball, it means the rook is a, an extra meter deep, and that means that the offside line is a, is a meter further back. And I think that's something Joe will have spoken about a lot, and something Ireland did not do well no. in Scotland. Yeah, um, and it, it it just makes it that much harder as a defensive team to have to go back another half or half meter, another meter. And Kev, you worked on them as well. Just groundwork by the lads. Guys were, they looked like they were being scalded on the floor. You know, they were crawling to make sure presentation was perfect. And you just know from, from working on their Joe, that's a massive hot topic. And, and, and he would have been usually disappointed with it. And you, you just look at last week, you know, Ian Henderson got turned over on the ground. You know, and then he's left out of the squad. Everyone is, is nervous not to do well then as a result of that. So, um, I kind of felt for the subs that were left out, but I thought the guys that came in brought a massive work rate. Talk to me about presentation, Kev. Like, I, I take the ball into a tackle. I'm not a huge man. Let's not use me as a literal example, right? But take the ball into a tackle. What's the difference between good presentation and bad presentation when you're coming in after that? 
Yeah, like what Joe will put a lot of focus on is how you react as you're going to ground. It's not a thing of falling to ground, just flopping around and placing the ball back. It's your body fight when you get to the ground because quite often you'll be held by the tackler as you fall to the ground and they're going to do everything they can to make sure, like hold your arms, hold your hip, whatever they can do to stop you doing or uh, presenting the ball well. So fighting, you'll see guys actually wriggling like a worm on the ground to be able to turn around and face a nine and place the ball properly. And by doing that, it makes a huge difference. And uh, and it's clear the guys have put a lot of emphasis on that because I think against Scotland, um, their back row in particular were wrapping us up, slowing us down, not allowing us to fight into a good position, which actually makes it harder for the support players to get a good clean out as well because um, it's less of a target, which made Murray kind of have to reach into the rook a bit more. And we, we spoke about the knock-on effects of that. Yeah, it's only um, we're talking about that kind of the way the guys kind of charge into the game with intent as well, and you could just see that even from talking to them at a current house during the week how they just didn't they didn't want to be talking to us. They just wanted each day to go quicker and, and get through the whole thing. And there was this real impatience about them. And it's I suppose just with Kevin and Dunnick might tell us a little bit more about just what it's like to be in a camp when you've lost a game like with Schmidt and, and what it's like to be in that Ireland camp. Like and I suppose Dunnick, have you kind of felt that kind of thing of just can't wait for the days to go by and and and. Yeah, that's exactly it. You, you, look, I'll be honest with you. You're you're biting your nails till maybe Wednesday or Tuesday till the squad is named, and you're hoping you're not one of the lads that you know that's grim reapered within the week because you know when Ireland lose, someone's gonna you know feel it. And unfortunately for Jack and Ian, it was them, you know, and and Tommy off the bench, and and then there's a responsibility on the lads that were actually picked if you're, if you're involved in a game like that and you see there's been lads being dropped you know that could have easily been you so you're completely on edge and uh, look I, I found it interesting Roger's comments um, on his punditry saying that there was a lack of fear factor about Ireland and when you think back at that it, that's what was there this week I think guys were nervous that if they didn't play well um, you know they were gone and uh, like I, I just think maybe going up when the squad was announced early on, didn't you know guys like Niall Scandal? Did they really think they were going to kind of get into the first team uh, for the first game against Scotland? Probably not. Whereas, you know, after a result like that, um, you know, camps wide open again, and the the best players and the guys that are performing well in training, and that's a massive thing. If you're going well in training, you know that you can knock on the door a bit more and. I think it'll be interesting now. I'd be I'd be keen to see will you know guys like Dave Carney and Andrew Conway. I haven't seen the Ulster the Connacht match, but there's guys outside the squad as well putting their hand up and can they start um, you know forcing their way into the squad as well? Because unfortunately for us, we haven't got a massive playing pool, but we need our squad to be competitive to get the best out of everyone. So there's one man who definitely would need a bit of squeezing out of this team would be CJ Stander and here's how he felt after the game yesterday talking to RTE. Yeah, I, I think we were sluggish last week, you know, we didn't uh, come out the first half and play the game we wanted to. I think this week we, we played the game from the start the way we wanted to, you know, and I think uh, fairness to our backline, to Paddy, you controlled the game and our forwards kept on scrumming well and that, that made a big difference already for this week. So he was good. Oh, he was, he was amazing and... Um, 
again he was a guy who didn't have this like you expect we, we spoke about uh, Conor Murray last week you expect him to be world class and you expect Standard to go out and tear into the side from the start and he's done it in so many games but then you, you look at the stats after 20 minutes and he's 11 carries like he's, he's around 20 metres he's got a try under his belt already and um, you know it, it was just better better than ever I suppose and it was one of one of his best games for Ireland um, but it was, there was so much else to it like um, you know, Kev might tell you a little bit more about some of the technical stuff but um, even the fact that he topped the tackle count as well and um, and was there kind of as we said clear and uh, beyond the ruck as well was just so good and um, he, he just kind of put everything in and kind of great to say, see him having just had a good game against Scotland to have a great game again he's back on track yeah, what I like <clears throat> what I like about CJ is there's nothing too fancy about what he does it's it's very repeatable he works harder than anyone on the, on the park um, he carries the ball all the time and he carries it with a phenomenal amount of aggression <laughs> and he does that every single game he plays in um, and he doesn't seem to get injured either so he's around a lot um, also from a player who probably had the worst try scoring record in Leinster's history and with the worst <laughs> try scoring instincts he seems to have an incredible instinct for a try and being in the right place at the right time um, and he scores a lot of tries which are very important um, and he's a, he's a great guy to have in the team yeah, I mean, we we looked at some of the tape earlier on. Um, you picked out something which was just where he stood, in that he didn't just canter over from the wing. It looked like an easy try, but talk to me about where he stood. So there's there's a breakdown, maybe sort of ten yards in, um, within the Italian twenty-two. Simon Zebo's calling for somebody to get out to the wing and that person is CJ Sander yeah it was just a good example of his placement um, there were three Irish players I think outside uh, Zebo and then Stander on the wing standing right on the touchline and he stood really flat he knows that Zebo is a nice pass and, and Zebo zinged one out to him and I think if he'd been standing a bit deeper it would give him more time for the Italian um, defence to get across to him I just thought it was really good placement and again it was good instincts right place at the right time got over for a line and people kind of look at him and go wow his tries seem quite simple they're all short range but that's smart play Dunica I mean when you're looking at someone like like Stander what stands out to you beyond the obvious of he carries the ball a lot and he carries it hard yeah I'd agree with Kev I, I, I think guys are uh, sometimes really harsh on what he does if you look at that uh, the, I think it was his third try where he runs a nice line off Connor and uh, you know Keane does a great job of sitting down the, the defender and Dave even kind of goes like we were saying upfield of the rock and make sure the nine can't get at Connor and then CJ just runs a, a really good line off his shoulder and gets the ball but it's so easy to kind of say he just runs it in but he actually does the 15 and no one gives him any credit for that you know I think uh, an awful lot of his game he doesn't probably get a whole lot of credit for no the fellow's man of the match every week he goes out and it'll nearly drive you crazy but He's just incredibly good. He's uh, the thing for me being, being around him in the environment. He is such a squad player. He loves the boys. You know, for me, someone that would think of the residency rule and and, and really question it. DJ blows it out of the water for me because he loves Limerick. He loves Munster. He loves playing for Ireland. It means everything to him. And. Uh, you know, I, I, to, to be fair, when I see him go out, you, you're just massively proud because you know how much it means to him, and, uh, and and that's why he plays that well. You know, he is emotional boy, and he he wants to play brilliant every week for Ireland. And I suppose you know when you listen to an accent, sometimes you can be fooled by things. But he's a proud, proud man. Is that is he the same player that you saw when he first arrived at Munster, though, or is, or is this potential turned into something more? Look, if I was to be completely honest, I think 
Munster was really good for CJ as well. You know, I think Axel did an r- incredible job of making him earn his stripes. Uh, you know, if if you look at his first season, he really had to work hard to get every bit of game time, and and, and that kept him on a really short leash. And I think it made him unbelievably hungry to push on. And every time he got a chance, he knew that he'd be brilliant. And uh, and that, that that's what he's done now and he hasn't taken the foot off the pedal he's not a guy that would ever get complacent he's he's a guy that wants to improve and get better and but I, I, I do think if you know if he'd come into the squad and was straight into the team he, you know he mightn't have the stick and power that he has now within the yeah. national setup. and you know as for all that back row that went out this weekend I think he's knocking on the door for the Lions I think it's a it's a brilliant combination that back row at the moment and uh, you know it's a, a, it's one full of kind of uh, honest work rate but X factor in all three Yeah and I suppose one person that mightn't always get the plaudits or maybe to be accurate does get some plaudits and then gets slated in others is Mr Jamie Heaslip Kev you like Mr Jamie Heaslip you're a big fan of playing with someone who's that predictable that reliable tell us why he for you was almost more impressive than CJ yeah, I have to say, at the end of the game, he was my man of the match. Uh, I just thought he was everywhere. He carried the ball, his footwork, his offloads, his defence. Uh, he hit a lot of breakdowns. Um, <clears throat> it's the subtleties of his game that people don't always give him credit for, I don't think. Um, I always find it amusing when Ireland lose and people all turn on Jamie. It seems to happen quite often. But he's kind of the, the totem pole around which Joe builds the back row. He plays every single game. He's incredibly durable. He plays 80 minutes every single game. Um, his work rate never lets up and he's one of those guys that you just enjoy playing with because if you're inside you in defence you know he's going to do his job if he's cleaning the, if he's cleaning out after you've made a carry you know he's going to do a good clean out and having those type of reliable people is so important in professional rugby and um, people might say he's a bit mechanical about how he goes about his work but I think that's where what has got him to where he is today and he, he's a phenomenal competitor Do you think that's it? I mean do you think that he's just maybe he's not the, the heart and the sleeve kind of guy that it, it doesn't channel out in the same way I mean I know in, in the post-match yesterday it's all about it's about process and outcome and you know a corporate CEO could say something very very similar um, it, is, is it like that? Uh, I suppose it is to a certain point and Joe like builds very very strong processes into his teams and uh I think Jamie sticks to those processes and that's part of the reason Joe loves him so much but also Jamie brought the X factor yesterday as well with I think a, an offload out of the back of the hand that led to a try potentially and, mm, yeah, and a few other sense. bits and some really nice footwork a couple of times um, uh, for me Jamie's got it all to be honest No, um, Kev's point is 100% spot on I watched that game and I thought the exact same thing the man of the match here is Jamie Eastlip I thought he was immense I've always loved playing with him um, but I thought as captain yesterday he was a, he was a forwards captain I loved how he backed uh, his front five and even more so his front row early on in the game by going for scrums when everyone else would have kicked over points and I know the front five forward when your your skipper has that type of faith and you you just you grow a foot and uh I've always, uh, I've always loved playing with Jamie. I love how he works. I love um, how much he he gives every week. You've no doubt, and Kev will tell you, he will be the first guy down for training on Monday morning. He will do every rep. He looks to get better um, every day. And you look at those offloads yesterday; they're not by fluke. If you were around the guy for a week, you would see that he practices them at the end of every training session. 
he um he's always constantly doing extras, you know, um um I used to slag that the the gym train doesn't stop and it's so true. I think he gets an awful hard time sometimes with Kez Wright when things don't go well, but he's a player's player and I thought yesterday at key points he brought it all and Kev's right the offloading uh, side of his game was brilliant and his footwork yesterday like honestly at times he was like Michael Flatley he was just incredible but what I really loved was when Dunica Ryan went off he went into that role and knew it perfectly he was able to set up mall drives on him and that's just you, you, you can't buy that in a squad player guys that will step up when others would probably, you know, look around. Jamie's that guy that'll always put his hand up and I think uh I think yesterday was incredible and I think you know, people go on about, you know, Lions captaincies and stuff like that, but you know, for me I've a different view on things like that. I think maybe the the horse is bolted and naming the tour captain. I definitely think you need a leadership group and He'd certainly be um, top of the pile for me in, a, in an environment like that. I thought he was incredible yesterday, but it's no fluke because he's incredible every week. Yeah, like he is a guy, like he, for a weird reason, like Kev, like kind of found it a bit strange when I kind of said that he's a bit like some people, he's a bit marmite really. Like, you know, maybe it's because he gives those kind of post match interviews and talks about processes and kind of. He definitely rubs some people up the wrong way. Yeah. And it's yeah. always been like that, even from when he was a younger guy. Some people just didn't warm to him. I'm not talking about media here, I'm talking about fans as well. There was mm-hmm. just, there's this thing about Jamie that he seems to be, I know, a lightning rod. Yeah, but yeah, they, well, no, yeah, go on, Dirk. I was just going to yeah, say. Yeah, I think they need to know that you know some guys don't come across well in interviews and I've never really seen a whole lot of his and maybe that's something an area that you need to be good at but I'll be honest with you when you're talking out with a guy in the dressing room and you're you're going you know as you'd say into battle he's first on the team chief he's the guy you want to talk out with he is a player's player and uh it actually it drives me nuts when people um, you know speak up about him because uh, you just know how much it means to him. You know how hard he works. See, like Kev, you've been around him daily. I've only been around with him at camp, but he's one of the guys that always pushes um, all the small margins, recovery, nutrition, and uh, and that's what you need. You need guys that want to get better, want to improve, and you know just. Small thing in yesterday's game, I loved it. You know, John Ryan dropped the ball, and uh, Jamie gave him a stare. You could, you know, it was nearly the equivalent to Joe giving him a tongue lashing in the review. And sometimes that's all you need off your skip. And uh, you know, I know it was crazy that Rory was out, but I was actually glad to see Jamie get his shot at leading the team out. So, um, you know, I, I, I think sometimes. Uh, you know what do we want uh, a fella that sounds brilliant in the media or a dog on the pitch and give me a dog any day and he's brilliant so now two week two week break until the next game uh, that's going to be an interesting one for a camp there's really good momentum you'd want to harness coming out of the Italy game but now you're going to have a bit of a split between the guys who are kept in and then some of the guys were actually released Kev back to the provinces to I suppose try and stake a claim yeah and I've been there it's quite difficult because you're very much in Ireland mode and then you're maybe off off the bench in a game and then you're going back to your province so, so what what is that split who stays who goes so the starting 15 will stay and maybe a couple of others uh, to make up the, Joe will make sure he has 15 to train with so he might keep around 18 players because there'll be a few knocks and then he'll bring in uh, some academy 
academy guys to train against over this week uh, they'll train hard they'll be off probably until Wednesday and then train hard Wednesday Thursday Friday but for the guys off the bench they'll go back to their provinces which is difficult because you've got to switch straight back into province mode and then get back into Ireland mode back into Carton House on Sunday night it's it's for someone like Sean Cronin who's been unlucky to be behind short Rory Best for such a long time it's always been a challenge for him during Six Nations period hmm. and I suppose the one thing we're kind of not mentioning too much is is Italy they really weren't good uh, we talked last week a little bit how you know Conor O'Shea's job is big is it even bigger than we thought after watching that yeah like they they, they just were just slack from the start weren't they like we, it, it always is going to be tough with a six day turnaround for them as well and um, having kind of leaked those late points against Wales and Ireland kind of did the right thing and kind of put the, the foot on the throat from, from early on but uh, it was just just to see them falling off so many tackles and like you'll even see Stander's second try where he kind of went through two two Italians one went high one went low and he just busted through the two of them like and you know there was, it was kind of some shock and stuff and, and I think it was really highlighted by by a couple of Sergio Parise things where uh, Paddy Jackson ripped the ball off him in one, one tackle within two yards of the, the Irish line and then just the other one where he just was like a statue for that Gary Ringrose try at the end and if you have someone like Parise kind of being shown up like you know it didn't reflect well on them at all and that really summed the whole thing up I think yeah Conor O'Shea has got a serious battle on his hands uh, I would imagine he went over thinking maybe a two to three year plan here to get this place sorted out but it's looking more like a five to ten year plan at this stage I think they've got to look at their academy structures because they're not bringing through any new Parises uh, or Italian players um, a lot of the guys they're, they're bringing into the into the team are, are the likes of the second row Van Schalk and um, uh, Luke McLean in the centres who aren't even Italian so they've got to look at their structure their, their underage structures and start there but you know it's very bad for the Six Nations brand having a team like there like no one's really that excited about an Italian game and that's just so bad for the Six Nations brand and I think they've, they've got to look at doing something about this Donica if Georgia and Italy play five games over the next five weeks how many games do Georgia win? Jeez, I don't know. <laughs> Look, I played in a World Cup where Georgia should have beaten us, so I can't comment. Um, I, look, I think, I think, I, I agree. Um, the more I've read up about what Connor's at, he 100% um, agrees with the challenge ahead. But he came into that same type of a challenge with Harlequins. They were always knocking around kind of mid-table, and they went on to win a Premiership. They went on to do really well in Europe. So he has pedigree in, in, in changing and improving places. So And he's a winner. I think he's done that. You know, I've been um, a person lucky enough to work with the likes of Steve Abood and the academy system, and I'll never forget, you know, um, he, the big goal there was to prepare you to make the Irish team a winning Irish team. That was all we ever talked about. And when he shook hands at the end of your three-year academy um, time, it was that I'm now producing three more to take your place so um, it, it was an incredible and you, you look at what came from, from our academy I, I honestly feel um, you know the RFU got the structure right and I think Italy as disappointing as it is now if you know if Conor O'Shea is given the chance to actually implement proper structure to get it right it could bear fruit in time and I know everyone's really frustrated and I, myself included but um, I found it uh, interesting to read Conor that he doesn't doubt the fact and, and, and know how much work is is there to do but he's taken on that challenge so I think uh, you know you've got, you've got to stick with him at the moment unfortunately it seems a little bit late 
to put someone of that quality in there now. It was, you know, maybe uh, screaming out for maybe five, six years ago. But um, I think uh, certainly for him, he deserves to get the chance. Well, I suppose that wraps up Ireland's visit to Italy. Next up, a belter of a game between Wales and England and Cardiff and Scotland's visit to France. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport. Okay, and we're back. And 21-16, England walk away from Wales with the win. Uh, This was a completely different game of rugby. It was an absolute belter. The physicality at the start was unreal. Yeah, it was amazing. Physicality for all 80 minutes was unreal. Um, The pace of the game was scary. Uh, I think we were looking at the stats there. The ball was in play for around 40 minutes. Um, And it just never let up. And what I really liked about it is... England were really on the back foot they were really under the pump it was a massive test of their character and what they've been through as a team over the last year or so there was a lot going against them some of the refereeing decisions were poor that late hit on Farrell probably should have been a penalty or a card the crowd were baying for blood Uh, there was that passage of play where they should have scored and Bigger got the intercept and I think a lot of teams would have folded in that scenario but they just have this belief and they've forgotten how to lose games um, they have this belief that, that gets them over the line they have the big game players <clears throat> and I was extremely impressed and uh, you know it is slightly worrying for Ireland having said that they're beatable um, I think they're missing the Vunapola brothers they're struggling to get go forward like Nathan Hughes was getting absolutely bashed on the gain line every time he carried the ball and they don't have that immediate go forward they have with the Vunapolas Um I also think in the in, in their forwards in the back row in particular they don't necessarily have much of a poach threat so you can go through a lot of phases against them without turning it over which I think will play into Ireland's hands because I think Ireland have more game breakers than Wales do Wales scored a neat little try in the first half Liam Williams takes the ball from a scrum halfway inside the uh, the English 22 Reese Webb looks as if he'd had a little word to him beforehand. The BBC cameras picked it up, saying, "Will you mind running directly behind me?" And it seemed to completely bamboozle the England defence. Was that was that a nice Welsh move, or should England really have done better with this? It was a combination of both. Um, I think there was nice action off the ball from Wales, but I think England just got too tight. Clifford, Youngs, and Ford were kind of bunched together which meant that Farrell kind of turned his shoulders in because he didn't know where to go and then Joseph stayed out. I think there was there's a few errors there. They were way too tight but I think in that case Joseph just has to hit in. You never let a team get around you but what made it difficult for Joseph was there was two Welsh players out the back um, that he was cognizant of. So it was a nice play but I think Ireland could look at something like that but I don't think England are going to make that mistake again unfortunately. No, they shouldn't do. Donegal, when you're watching that game back I mean, what, what strikes you about immediately about these two teams that Ireland have to come up against? Yeah, no doubt it's going to be intense. Um, you know, I, I, I agree. I think England at the moment um, you just, you know, I chat to Ben a bit but they're, they're on a quest to be world class and like I said to you last week, they're they're believing it now, and they they you're right. They didn't look like they were going to lose that game. Even you know when they got intercepted, um, when bigger booted at the length of the pitch, I thought game over here. But they just had that belief to keep at it, keep on task, and uh, you know that that is actually you know sometimes just getting across the line, and and that's all they've done at the moment. They've played really poorly and got two results, and you take that in the end. So. Uh, um, on the point there about that 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 Welsh try and Welsh scrum, I was actually delighted finally to see a back row move off a of scrum. I think um, you would have seen it over the years, maybe about ten years ago now. But the scrum just hasn't been a platform to play off for uh, for an awful long time now, and to see actually uh, 
a few moves off scrum and it being used as a launch play again is great to see and uh, I think it really exposed someone like Farrell who's normally a 10 you know when you have someone like Jonathan Davies you're right there Kev running the really good lines out the back and I thought it was great to see just that the, the scrum was back so um, but yeah um, Ireland will have their hands full with both I think to be fair I think uh, Wales will be disappointed I think um, you know for all the amount they played, I think uh, they just, you know, needed to be a little bit smart and, uh, and 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 find a way to win that. Whereas England just, you know, got across the line again. That's an interesting point about the the scrum. I mean, you're right. We do see a lot of rugby in the last couple of years where the the scrum becomes number eight pops it to somebody else, and it's just it's just a way of restarting play. Back row moves, Kev, is that something we, we need to see? Is there still a pace for it in the game or have we moved beyond that? I think defences have become so good at coping with back row moves. Joe used to have a nice move where um, if the opposition lost one of their forwards and they were short uh, a back row or had a back in the back row, he used to do this play where the eight would just run out and pop it back inside because they'd overfold and like things like that. But I just think defences are so wise to those types of moves now. Like the As Tony said, like the 8-9-15, for example, is gone. It's just too easy to defend now and also to be perfectly honest the front row union are, are demanding more of, of scrums and they're saying I'm, this is going to be my try like say for instance in Leinster if we got within 10 metres of the line Mike Ross would turn around to us all and say we're keeping this in this is my baby and try and walk it over the line um, and uh, I think there's a bit of that as well so um, that I suppose going back into what we saw yesterday if you're a Welsh fan you would be dreadfully dreadfully disappointed I mean they were leading for large stretches of the game they built up what seemed to be two to three minutes like it was about 25 phases of pressure before uh, James Haskell killed the ball under his own post and how he was not yellow carded I do not yet know but he did he got away with it great and they kicked the penalty but there were still only five points up I mean if you're if you're Wales and English come away from from there with a win like that how do you react yeah, it, it's it's very tough because it's this is the second time they would have lost Warren Gatland and, and Howley steps in and there's no confidence in Rob Howley from from the Welsh public and um, it was up to the kind of players to kind of step up and it looked like they had done it again and then Howley kind of made a couple of substitutions that didn't really work for them. We, we saw Moriarty who had a good game and he was the guy who you know laid waste to, to Owen Farrell but in that big hit um, you saw him coming off and it was only moments after he'd done that to Farrell and you kind of sense the fans kind of you know what's going on here and um, you know it's a real shame for them because they can't get any kind of momentum going and um, someone like Cuthbert kind of coming in as well and um, you know he's another guy that the fans have kind of already turned on you've seen it overnight he got a lot of grief for that he kind of got done by uh, by Daly on the outside and um, you know what do they hang their hat on now because you know there's, well they've got, got the Scots coming up as well I suppose but um you know they're already up against it, and I suppose the the big one for us is um you know it looks good from an Irish perspective that uh you know they've got a bit of wind taken out of their sails as well, but um yeah just it's tough for Wales to kind of get any kind of momentum going lately. Yeah, you know, that that Cuthbert was for the the final try, the, the heartbreaking yeah. try at the very end. I mean I mean Dunica, when you see you can track that try directly back to a, a clearance kick from Jonathan yeah. Davies, which the other Jonathan Davies on BBC commentary audibly groans <laughs> when yeah, he sees yeah. where that ball's been kicked. If you're if you're a Welsh forward looking at that what are you thinking it's, it's a killer I'll be honest with you 16-14 obviously bigger isn't you know in the pocket to, to kick it but everyone has exit strategies you know rugby's gone to that level and you hit you hit the stand in that situation and uh, unfortunately 
Thomas and Davies didn't. I think, you know, the, it was unbelievable work by the English forwards to actually put him under pressure and make him fluff that kick. And he was unfortunate that Ford and Farrell, to be fair, they, they, those two passes are probably best you'll see in, in international rugby. And that's that's the beauty of actually having two kind of first receivers on the pitch for them to... And move the ball at that pace, and to get that width in the game, you know, Farrell's pass was incredible. And to be fair, Daly still had an awful lot to do. I agree. I totally agree with Pat there about Cupboard. He just looked like a guy low on confidence. He didn't back himself a bit. You know, a few years ago, he probably would have halved him, but for Daly to get outside him so easily was disappointing and I, I think Pat makes a good point about Moriarty he was the dog in that fight you know I think he uh, he brought it to to England the whole time and to see him being called ashore quite early I was a bit shocked I played against him he is the greatest pain in the ass you'll ever come across and uh, sometimes you need guys out there like that that are just going to make it a tough tough day for you but um, I think it actually all hinged on, and, and that's international rugby, one mistake there, 16-14, they don't hit the stand, game over. Yeah, in your day, Dunners, that would have been in the stand, and at least two of your front rowers would have been on their knee in Munster's heyday. <laughs> Slow it down <laughs> for three or four minutes, get your breath back, <laughs> annoy, the, annoy the opposition. Like, you know, ref, genuine, this, this, this lad might be injured, please bring a physio exactly, on. Genuinely yeah. now, that, I, I just think it was a shocking lack of experience from a guy who has a long long uh, period of experience playing I, international rugby I, I was shocked by it but I think D- Dunica's point about the way it was executed by England's point of view though is absolutely valid I mean the ball was not kicked directly down the centre of the pitch it's a long way right and two passes they're all the way over in the left hand corner it and was brilliant Yeah and I can guarantee you uh, all week um, they would have spoken about getting Elliot Daly a one on one with space against Cuthbert because yeah. Cuthbert is uh, fast but it takes him about five seconds to get to top pace he's uh, he, he's a big long stride whereas Elliot is just lightning um, so two beautiful passes uh, Cuthbert was way too tight and they got around him but uh, just going, going back to the Moriarty thing I, I was surprised to see him going off as well but he looked like he was in destruction mode for 50 minutes and I wonder did Howdy say to him listen go out and just kill people for, for 50 minutes and just yeah. go around smashing things um, and then we'll bring on Falata who in fairness is a, a lion option, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah it was a difficult one and you can look at this and you can look at that but like Dunner says put that in the stand slow the game down and, and, and grind the game out that's, that's what you need to do in that scenario Dunca what do you think about Dylan Harty being brought off so early? Yeah, I thought it was great. Look, I, um, from being in the Premiership, everyone is talking about Jamie George. Like, he hardly has the leadership qualities, and you chat to the guys within the squad and guys that know him, like uh, Phil Dawson with us. He's he's an incredible leader, and he bring guys he he brings guys with him. But I think everyone in the Premiership would believe that uh, George is the best hooker, and I thought it was. Um, I thought it was great. I think it leaves it no doubt that everyone, you know, there's no one beyond the axe with Eddie Jones, you know, and he will put the right team out that's right, uh, you know, regardless of who it is or regardless of it being his leaders. And uh, I thought it was a good call. Um, When we chat about substitutions, you can question some of them, but that one paid off for him. And I think, you know, it's a rocket to Hartley as well because just from being... Like I said, you've been in the league. Everyone is, everyone would think that George should be starting hooker, you know. And after that game, Eddie Jones sounded fairly confident in talking to BBC about their upcoming trip to Italy. 
Well, we're, we're looking forward. We've got a, a week's training in uh, central London next week. Uh, so, yeah, we'll train hard and do a few different things for the boys and then, then we'll be right for a week's preparation against Italy. And, you know, it's a big game for us because we want to put them to the cleanest. Not big on respecting your opponent, is Eddie, really? Well, yeah, he's showing intent and he's talking about what they want to do. Um, he could say the same about any team, I suppose. But uh, just the fact that it's Italy and Italy have just shipped 63 points, it could be seen as a little bit disrespectful. But... Just going back to what what Dunner said, being able to haul a leader like their captain off off the pitch on forty six minutes, I think it shows strength. It sh- I think it shows that no one is bigger than the team, and that Eddie Jones is a strong manager, and uh, I think that shows a huge a huge sort of statement. And I genuinely believe that that uh, Jamie George is a better player than Dylan Hartley. Um, I think his his line out throwing is better, but he's also better around the park. And you know, it brings up the question of whether uh, Hartley will even be on on the plane to uh, New Zealand this summer. Well, so you, you've got to look at the flip side of that as well. When Hartley was going through tough times, Eddie Jones backed him. You know, kept him in as captain. So the, he, he, I think he he is incredible at man management. He has that whole squad pulling with him. You know, it's so easy at that time when, when Hartley was sent off for what he did against uh, Leinster and Shawnee to kind of oust him and leave him out of the squad. Whereas he said, no, I got your back, you're all right. Whereas yesterday he said, well, hold on, I'll, I'll dictate when your performance isn't good enough that, you know, I'll call it. And, uh, and you know, as a player, that that's massive respect that, um, you know, your coach has your back at critical times, but he also... Um, has the higher ground when you're underperforming. And to round off the weekend, we moved to Paris and France were doing a lap of honour. Yeah, after beating Scotland. <laughs> yeah, I was I was just saying when the game ended that uh, normal services had resumed and Scotland had, had somehow contrived to lose a game as well. And it, it was such a strange sight to see the Scot um, the Scottish players as they were all good at the French lads in the background hugging fans and and applauding the fans. And one of the guys um, brought his child onto the pitch for some of the celebrations. So. What's gone wrong with French rugby where they're kind of on, on the pitch celebrating a home win over Scotland? I remember we used to, like, I'd say Dunners was the same down in Munster, but when we see a team, say, we both played in a quarterfinal and, and they won and we won and we'd kind of gone straight off the pitch, back to business now for the semi, and we'd see a team kind of celebrating and do a lap of honour, we'd be licking our lips, we'd be saying, that's their final, <laughs> we're, we're going to beat them in the semi. Like, it's, it's, I kind of feel like it's, it's very, very weak by France. Mm-hmm. It was a good game, though. I mean, in Scotland, we, we said this last week, that that had turned into a, quite an interesting game because Scotland had played very, very well against Ireland and France had definitely turned up against England. 16 all after 49 minutes. This one was absolutely in the mixer. Um, there was some strange stuff happening, though. Finn Russell's weird conversion thingy. Yeah, scored a penalty uh, <laughs> under the posts, um, which was an absolute disaster. Um, just the ball slipping off the tee. And I, I think um, we might have been saying that he, he had addressed it and he had taken his run up so he couldn't go and replace the ball so um, you know he'll look back and curse himself for that because they could have been five points up at that stage um, I think it would have been 18-13 at that stage and um, it's just those kind of sloppy mistakes uh, we saw Laidlaw go off so maybe that didn't help having their kind of you know little lieutenant on the pitch uh, I, I didn't really mean to say little lieutenant on the pitch so Laidlaw kind of made me made me say it but uh, he was a big loss um, for them and, and they kind of it, it, they kind of France got close enough at the end we saw a try getting ruled, ruled out for them as well but uh, they they just about edged it so um, they, they'll come into the game against Ireland now in a couple of weeks kind of pretty much charged up but, but then again as we saw saw them celebrating that they're not quite there yet Dunica do does Joe Smith and Ireland do they have anything 
I suppose, really to fear about this French side? I'll be honest, from watching them, I watched them now twice. I'm, I'm really struggling to see a kind of game plan or consistent shape, you know, or patterns in what they do. For me, I honestly feel like they have 15 individual players and they have an idea of what they want to do. They want to play this French, keep it alive rugby, but those days are gone. You need structure now. You need at least your first six phases to be really well organised. You need exit strategies. You know, I know it's it's, it's generic rubbish phase, or, you know, lines to say, but that's that's modern rugby. That's the way it's gone. And I think, you know, they're incredible athletes they're you know they're big strong men I question their fitness levels I think they're playing in the league that's really slow and I think if Ireland can up the tempo they could really hurt them but I'll be honest it feels so long ago now since we actually saw that French flair that you're nearly forgetting it you know and um I, I wonder are the days of Jouet rugby just throw it around have a go I wonder are they gone defences are are so good now, but I I actually think it needs it needs a little bit more structure than in, in, in what they're trying to do. Look, I I I'm a second or forward. I put my head between two asses and push. I I wouldn't be able to spot shape, but I know generic patterns of what you, you know what what you're looking to do, and I I just can't see it with France at the moment. Well, at least you push with both shoulders, Kev. You only push with one. So from your side on view, uh, do Ireland have anything to fear from this French side? Nah, not for me. I I have to say I was really surprised when France brought Guy Noves in as their head coach because they brought him in at a time when Toulouse were struggling badly and Toulouse were playing probably the worst rugby in the top 14 and trying to just bash teams were playing with no kind of uh, creati- creativity. Um, so I think that was a poor decision. I think France are probably a little bit better than they were this time last year. But I think, I think Ireland are going to do a number on them and I genuinely believe there's an opportunity to get a bonus point win against them if we play with the same level of focus and intensity that we did against Italy particularly now we've pretty much got a full deck of cards excluding uh, maybe Jared Payne and, and Jordy who maybe wouldn't even be in the mix com- considering how competitive the back row is that's not a bad situation to leave it um, Dunica thank you very much for letting us out to Cork for the weekend um, that's all the rugby we'll be back with Haley O'Connor from Landbrooks who can fill us in on how round two of this Six Nations saw them getting skinned by the punters The Hard Yards brought to you by Ladbrokes passionate about sport and we're back with Ladbrokes Haley O'Connor Haley, how did the weekend betting go for you? Um, it wasn't great, actually, for the bookmakers. Um, I said last week that we were going to take a strong position um, on England, which we did. Um, so our pockets are fairly empty after that. And, um, you know, even when uh, England were lagging behind um, five points, punters were at halftime, punters are still getting stuck into them. Um, and we just wanted to take as much money as we could on them. And then in the fourth, or with four minutes to go, they turned it around. So um, that was a bit of a stinker for us. Um, Ireland... Um, last week I mentioned they were minus 16 in the handicap and they were really popular during the week which pushed them into minus 24 um, and obviously when they demolished um, Italy by 53 points um, that was a great result for the for the punters and um, also we were skinned um, we were going 4-1 to one for either Zebo or uh, Keith Earls to be first try scorer so we're skinned in that at four to one, and then Stuart Hogg, who we also mentioned uh, last week, he was fourteen to one today to be first try scorer, um, which he was. So um, ah, I'm Hogg looking for sympathy, but I don't think <laughs> I'm going to get it. <laughs> so in the studio last week, I 
did make a wager. I said that I would be on the pessimistic side <laughs> that Ireland would not beat Italy by more than 16 points. So this is the sound of cans of Guinness being opened that I wagered. I'm Gentlemen, getting the train home. I am a man of my word. Excellent. Guinness, you can pay me later for that free club. Um, yeah, the tri- top turn and try score is now a little more open. Uh, Keith Earls is right in it. CJ Stander is obviously right in it. And Mr. Hogg also right in it. Uh, you were also done by the fact that all the favourites came in yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, people like betting accumulators. Yeah, I mean, own adventurous and uncreative people go for the <laughs> sensible choices. But um, they were right. So that played about six to five for, for the t- uh, those three teams. And we look ahead to the rest of the championship. To Italy, the, to ahead. Now that we've got a win. Yeah, to Italy, um, to England getting a Grand Slam. 6-5 to five against England getting a Grand Slam. And if they arrive at the Aviva Stadium looking for that, they will also be going for the record number of test victories. Only Ireland between them. How far are we from that? Are England going to ride this through? Two vaguely unimpressive results. Are we going to see that? Yeah, it's hard to. Well, I certainly wouldn't be betting against that. Uh, them being the stakes in the Aviva on the 18th of March, um, but I feel good about that. I think Ireland have a really good history of overturning England on those big days, um, and uh, I think it would be a cracking day for Irish rugby if they could do it. It would be a good day out, Pat. Yeah, that's well. That's the the main thing, isn't it? Um, but my my big thing, I was just looking at it. I can definitely see England now just wrapping it up, getting bonus points against. Uh, the, the Italians and the, the Scots now as well so I think if it, the maths is right I think that's them on 18 points Ireland would be um, maybe around 14, 15 points so I, I wonder like yeah like Ireland might have to go out and win and, and do some damage while they're out there as well so mm-hmm. um, it could come to that thing where England are going for a Grand Slam and we have to win the Championship so it, just, it would make for a great game and what would be a great day out anyway would be potentially even better I suppose it might be just a case of us preventing them from getting a grand slam on that record yeah. we mightn't have a chance to win the championship but that'll be enough <laughs> shocking that. shocking that. that Irish people would ever take pleasure in England going down right time to wrap it up uh, Kevin McLaughlin thank you very much cheers Andy thank you Pat McCary pleasure thank you Hayley O'Connor from Labrooks you're very welcome thank you again to Donico Callahan for letting us in to his Corkman cave my name is Andy McGeady Joe Harrington is our producer Evan Fanning is Sports Joe's editor and Shane Dempsey is doing the complicated technician things get in touch by tweeting any of us or at sportsjoe.ie and subscribe to the show on iTunes Stitcher SoundCloud or through your favourite podcasting app while you're at it, subscribe to Sports Joe's GAA podcast, The JAR with Con Barkinson. This has been The Hard Yards. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport.